The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those of you who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where you shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Also, I want to thank all of you for the great feedback received regarding last week's show with Professor John Searle. And if you're listening to this audio prior to 9 p.m. Pacific on Friday, Professor Searle and I will be conducting a live voice chat, or what I call Veritas Live. Really, it's a live show where you get to ask the questions and Professor Searle and I will answer. If you don't have a microphone, that's fine. You can ask your questions by typing them. So head on over to the members section this is your opportunity to ask questions to Professor Searle, the man who can save the planet. Don't miss this opportunity. If you're not a member, subscribe and meet us there. This is truly a privilege and a bonus. Professor Searle and I are looking forward to it. Tonight's special guest is researcher and author Michael Tessarian, Architects of Control, who really rules the world. Michael will be with us shortly. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. 
you will receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, the Manticore Forum, and the Veritas Chatroom. Don't wait. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and subscribe. Here are some of our future guests in order of appearance and the title of the shows. Dr. Richard Souter. What's in the basement of the Secret Empire, Underground and Undersea Bases? Melinda Leslie, Abductions and Covert Ops. Cliff High, The Newest Shape of Things to Come Report. Miara Isley, Her Military Abduction Experience. And Dolores Cannon, The Convoluted Universe. With these great guests, it's a great time to be a member. And this is another reminder that from now until April the 30th, I'm giving you six months instead of three if you are ready, willing, and are 100% capable of transcribing a show. So go to the free subscription link of our website for more information. Remember, you must contact me on or before April the 30th to receive six months. After that, the regular three-month offer will remain in place. And now, get ready to spend a night discussing who is really in charge. Does the chaos of today's world have roots in ancient times? What can we do to unshackle ourselves from the conditioning? What are the consequences to civilization by the extraterrestrial involvement and the quandaries that have puzzled other visitation experts? But this and much more, Michael Tessarian will have the answers coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Most of the great music you hear right here on the very test show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, Go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. This is G. Edward Griffin, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Michael Tessarian. Alternative historian and author, is an expert on the occult history of Ireland and America. Born in Ireland, he has researched mythologies of the world, as well as his own country's magnificent and mysterious Druidic history. Michael's work considers the consequences to civilization of extraterrestrial involvement and answers many of the quandaries that have puzzled other visitation experts. It clarifies the disinformation about Atlantis and the lost continents of prehistory, and it shows that the orchestrated chaos of today's world has roots in ancient times. Looking ahead, Michael offers profound solutions for the future. He is the author of the acclaimed books Atlantis, Alien Visitation and Manipulation, Astrotheology, and Sidereal Mythology, and the Irish Origins of Civilization. He is the producer and presenter of the Origins and Oracles DVD series that explores ancient mysteries and forbidden knowledge and co-producer of the Architects of Control DVD series. And directly from our Veritas Virtual Studio, somewhere in Europe, I'm privileged to introduce to you, for the first time on Veritas, Michael Tessarion. 
Hello, Michael, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Uh, very well, Mel. Thanks. Nice to be on. Thanks for the invitation. It's my pleasure. It's great to finally have you on, Michael. I recently had Jordan Maxwell on, and I also spent some time with him a few days ago. I can see how having the two of you on this show is an accomplishment for us. I was watching the trailer to Architects of Control, one of your DVDs. It's one of the aspects we'll be discussing tonight. And a few things you said right at the beginning are basically one of the main motivators for our truth-seeking journey here. And I hope we can discuss these enigmas tonight. Michael, do we know where we come from, why we're here, and where we're going? Well, the answer is no, we don't. You know, uh, those are philosophical questions, and they're really not in the forefront of what people you know, care about or concern about in their general outlook at life, you see. This is unfortunately the problem that we face today. And if you just look around, you'll see that uh, people are busying themselves, you know, almost hurrying along to end life. The speed at which people are going, it's almost like they're, you know, anxious to get to their graves. Um, and you'd wonder whether that's really life at all or whether it's just lifestyle. And, uh, but these questions are not just philosophical. They underline so many other areas of life. And... I think that a lot of people have just decided to go along to get along and to avoid those kinds of deep insights, which might open all sorts of other doors to them. You know, they learn as children, for instance, that, you know, you just can't continue asking these questions because, number one, the adults that you speak to may mostly don't have the answer. And then even most of the, the adults, you know, frown upon you for even asking those questions or even asking why. And so from a very, very young age, people are taught about the master-slave dynamic. They're taught to just conform. And this is what you see going around. People today are mostly just victims of consensus trance and hive mentality. And um, sort of the herd instinct. And unfortunately, this needs to be deeply addressed because there's severe consequences of people negating not just those three important questions about their existence, but, but other, other questions that come from those basic ones as well. And it's almost, Michael, as if it's as you said, frowned upon, but it's almost as if we're not allowed to think for ourselves. And if we step outside of that box, all of a sudden we become a pariah. We always have to be thinking of dogma, which is thinking or, or, or doing things based on somebody else's thoughts. And growing up uh, as, as a child, I was very inquisitive. I'm still, I still am. And thank, you know, thank goodness I was able to continue the, the truth-seeking journey. But I remember as, as a child asking questions in school to my parents. And First, they didn't know, or they didn't. I always thought, is it that they don't know, or they don't want me to know? Is it that whoever's in control wants to leave this the way it is, so that we don't find out who we are, how, why are we here, and where we're going? Is it is, well, is, is there intention behind this? Yes, there is. In fact, the intention is a uh, very palpable. And it's extraordinarily important because, as my work points out, the entire architecture of control. It rests upon people's negation, people's escapism, and people's conformity. So, in fact, there's direct ties. Uh, in my work, I show that all forms of tyranny, all forms of dictatorship, no matter what form they are to be found, ultimately are dependent upon uh, the ignorance factor and the conformity of individuals who have lost any concept of true selfhood. You see, this has already been pointed out by Aldous Huxley and. Um, and Orwell, you see, and many of the insiders, it's not something I'm making up. Um, so this then, of course, opens a lot of interesting questions that I tried to look into in my work. Is that, okay, then what is the relationship between ty tyranny and tyrants and, and that kind of level of uh, control? 
and it, the individual people within the prison, the incarceration, you see, who may want that kind of incarceration. Could it be that there is, in fact, some sort of relationship and that people will accept external political social tyrannies? And I'm even talking about those that exist on the smaller level, remember. This kind of tyranny I'm talking about can be found even on the domestic level, in the professional sphere, at work, at home, in relationships, in the mother-child dynamic, in the parent-child dynamic, in all sorts of relationships, at the job, at work. So then we have to ask a question, are people uh, have a contract within their own head that they would rather even have this kind of external enforcement with the various levels of affluence that also come with it? then walk the Siddhartha road. In other words, is there a direct equation between the tyrannies of the world in all their manifestations, both in the corridors of power and in the most intimate circle, and this avoidance of selfhood? And I actually believe there is, because when you really study this subject, you start to discover that even in the individual, even in the human being himself, regardless of his relationships or his other, you know, uh, other duties and obligations and, and connections to the world, even in the individual themselves, this dynamic exists, meaning that there is an inner tyranny. I've referred to it as self-sadism. You see, I've referred to it as a person, uh, the ego-self dilemma, you know, in how people um, view themselves, how they need to conform, how they're dependent on the approval of other people. So this stretches the whole gamut from the A to Z. And sometimes I'm even, uh, you know, criticized for the eclecticism of my work, you know, and that... Uh, we talk about one subject and then sort of you know branch off into other things. Well, that's inevitable, actually, because once you're talking about consciousness, you are, in fact, talking about everything that man has manifested. Not nature, but everything that culture, everything that is culture. Culture is opposed to nature. Culture being what man has created, nature is being what, you know, is, is, is everlasting. So everything that man has created is a manifestation of his consciousness. And it's an examination diagnostically of a human being's consciousness that then gives you the key answers, the true golden keys to the solution to the mystery of all other things that exist in this world, including the plug-in, you see, to the uh, political control and machinations that exist. For instance, you know, if, like we showed in the Architects of Control, um, and I got a lot of positive feedback on this, if it can be shown that the leaders of the world are literally the most toxic of the bunch, meaning that they are the ones who are in the biggest form of escapism from their own psyche, you see, and from the call of selfhood, then, of course, those people are going to not only want to have power rather than love, because they don't love themselves, and they're going to absolutely be dependent on everyone doing as they do, which answers your question, because now they will really want to goad people and lure people and woo people and tempt people and even force people into the kind of thought processes, you see, and the behavioral patterns that they themselves have. It's like a drip-down process. It's a kind of a dark sorcery that then starts to infect everyone that lives on the planet because the sorcerer cannot feel good in the presence of people who are not like himself. He wants to spread his infection. And so when we see all of this... Um, decay, state of decay in the world. That's what it is to me. And it was also stated by Carl Jung and other psychologists like R.D. Lang, social uh, commenters like Eric Fromm and others of that nature, that they also saw it somewhat in this manner, that the, the um, individual's own negation, his absence of doing what is required, of thinking about his own existence and so on, gives rise to these tyrants. But these tyrants are the worst um, victims of this kind of escapism themselves. And so they wish to make the world, you see, the culture of the world into exactly what's pleasing uh, for themselves. And, and this is basically what I, I feel is going on. 
And you mentioned Aldous Huxley and uh, George Orwell. Do you think that they actually knew more than they were letting us to believe in their books? Well, much more, just in the same way that anyone who writes a book is only going to put into it, you know, um, the end result of their research. And often, you know, a slim book like what Aldous Huxley wrote, you can surely guarantee that, you know, um, it's only a small part of, of what these people have really, what they really know and what they're really into. And, you know, in a way, you have to condense it. But that's why you can, that is a process that can actually be done. I've done it myself in my DVDs. Filmmakers do it in which you take very esoteric ideas that most people may not even think about in their, in their lives. Like we said, these fundamental questions that I brought up in Architects of Control. And then you try to, you know, compress those into a movie script or, you know, a, a play, for instance, or even a, even a song, a piece of music. And uh, so, yeah, there's always going to be that. There's always going to. And, and don't forget, there's also what you really can't say because society is not even ready for it yet. You know, one has to also have a great sense of time uh, in this study and that human beings may not even be ready for half the stuff that they really need to, to know. So you have to do it, one, perhaps in science fiction or perhaps using uh, subliminal messages in order to, 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 to embrace people's psyche in a way that's not going to shock them. Well, manipulation is used in every form. There's always manipulation. It's just that uh, ultimately it comes down to a question of whether that manipulation is for the spiritual and moral uplift of humankind or whether it's not. And the ones that, you know, the, the great manipulators of the world, they have no interest in the moral and spiritual, you know, sovereignty of mankind. They're, they're, they're hell-bent to make men completely dependent on them. And therefore, their form of manipulation is the slow erosion of the reason, the slow erosion of the moral sensibility. And we can see this very evidently in the behavior of the young right now, who, don't, who have no obedience towards the parents, who have come, become completely dependent on television, media, and the approval of their own uh, misguided, you see, uh, compatriots. And so it continues all up the fractal. Uh, we're talking about in the last 30, 40 years, massive level erosion of some of the values that our forefathers held. And even the mocking of those values in many is presented often in a comedy form. So, of course, we have a good laugh at it, and that has its place as well. But underneath that level of comedy is often a debunking and a, and a sort of a slanderous mocking of, of very, very powerful and beautiful things upon which civilization was created. So is it safe to say, if we had to compress all of this, that we live in a hive world with the illusion of free will? Yeah. What we have is a decorated incarceration. We have smiling depressives and we have a tyranny without tears. And therefore, that should be understood by now. And I think that that's why I'm, I participate in the conspiracy movement and have a lot of respect for other teachers in this movement, because that part at least has been done very, very well. Some of the aspects I'm into have been sorely neglected, but at the same time, it, we need to, you know, you can't put the cart before the horse. So drawing, sketching out for people the background, you know, the G. Edward Griffins, the Eustace Mullinses, the Gary Allens, uh, the Lyndon LaRouches, the Jordan Maxwells, all, all these people have done a wonderful job showing that there is an actual objective matrix of control operating in the world. And in the case of people like Jordan Maxwell, and Eustace Mullins, they've all showed how ancient it is, which is extremely important. And so that has, that, that's been necessary background, especially in an American context, since the country was very young and people were born in that country with this if, a sort of fallacy that, okay, history doesn't really matter. There was legitimate reasons for that. But that is also, you know, extremely dangerous as well, because if you want to know the future and you want to know that 
time you're living in now, it's essential to look at the past. So America, in one way, was for a while quite deficient in that, even though it was for genuine good reasons in the beginning. And so there's a catch-up that needed to be done, and I'm glad that that's why I participate in this movement, because in America, this was the movement in which you not only heard about history, you heard about the alternative history, you heard about the history that's been hidden from us. And so America is a scintillating experiment in that, and the great minds that came about there who had objectivity, they weren't under any form of direct tyranny from theology or royalty. And so that kind of mind, you know, that is typified in the names that I've mentioned, was able to do its research to point out that this matrix of control exists. Then, you know, uh, the next step needs to be taken into a much more of a psychological uh, bent in order to understand exactly the dynamics, the roots of this. Because as I said, it's not just found in the corridors of power. It's found in the people who flock into the churches. It's found in those who want to sit in front of some guru somewhere. It's found in anyone who thinks that there's uh, secrets in an ashram. You know, I mean, it's always good to experiment and check out these things, but not to, you know, give over one's entire life permanently to it, as many do. Or, or you have the other kind who want that level of control. They want to be the gurus and the politicians and the leaders, you see. So that's a, it's, a, it's a twofold thing there, where we're, we're not in people's demand for this kind of leadership and their demand for the handrails. You also then breed a kind of a creature who will then, realizing that this is what people want, make great use of it, you see. And speaking of history, there's the saying, those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. Yeah. But what if the history that we learn is not even real, and it has been written by the winners, if you will. Well, right. A lot of it's fine. I'm not, you know, I don't condemn at all. With, yeah, and don't forget that even within the academic cabals, you'll always have your bright lights. You know, within Darwinism, you have your Richard, uh, Richard Milton's, you know, and, and the people who will speak up. You have the Nikola Teslas, the, the, the Walter Russells, and all of the different uh, uh, mavericks within archaeology, uh, and the history of race, you know, you'll, you'll have your commons Beaumonts. Um, and, and it's because of those people that won't go along with the consensus that we actually then can find out the main truth. This is where my work focuses, is seeking out those kinds of people and making their names known to the, to the rest of the world. But when it comes to the actual uh, power that exists, because it is pyramidical, um, yeah, you can have this control. Absolutely, you can have this control. Uh, editors will be controlled. Newspaper men will be controlled, media will be controlled, and um, that doesn't mean that they don't leak the truth in certain ways, but those, like I say, that will be done in other ways, like in symbolism, because there's also some sort of a pact going on in which you also have to tell the slave what the truth is. So as a matter of fact, the truth is out there in plain view, but it's not spoken verbally most of the time, you see. It's put in, in a surreptitious, subliminal way, perhaps, and then one has to have the symbolic literacy to decode it. And then there is, the, of course, as we know, the overt control of knowledge, the overt control, where just simply you'll not have the facts. And then that's why it takes these maverick people in the alternative movement, like the David Overson's, you see, and the Ralph Ellis's, Mustafa Gadala's, Ahmed Osman, you know, uh, to come out and then start, you know, telling people that what they're been learning about things is, is not necessarily the truth. You were mentioning slavery. I always say that slavery, perhaps not only in the United States, but everywhere else where slavery existed at one point, was never abolished, but transformed into the matrix we live in today. In the United States, we call it the 9 to 5 matrix. Do we have control of our destiny, Michael, or are we really slaves? No, no, we have the control. We have, the human being has control over everything. 
but it's all attitude. What has happened is that people have become displaced into thinking that uh, in the various pigsties that have been created for them, such as the political sphere, that any real lasting change can be can be made. You see, that's not true. What can that will only do certain spring cleaning. You may have some topical successes, but for every one of those successes, chances are that you know there'll be even more. Uh, uh, pernicious things created. So it basically becomes a vicious circle in which, um, haven't we seen this? You know, the wall comes down over there or, you know, a, a reformation takes place over here. But it's like pushing a balloon. You know, that may be a good thing over there, but, you know, it's all connected to the, the greater matrix. They're claiming that now, you know, we have no war after the fall of the Soviet experiment. And yet the wars continue. Now, five minutes later, they're talking about wars that will never end. Yes. So people need to, to see through this and realize that this is being stirred up on purpose and that the very mottos of some of the organizations that we study, like Chaos Control and Ordo Abkeo, and their whole uh, ideology is to perpetually have uh, chaos created. Now we're seeing it again with the Jewish Islamic thing or the West versus the Islamic you know, uh, uh, conflict. It's all orchestrated by some very, very cunning people at the top. Who, who have a great deal to lose should the human race really discover what's been going on and who the real architects of control is. Because as I said before in other interviews, there's the architecture of control. And then you have the individual architects of control. And then those architects of control have other courts of people's champions. And many of them may not even realize that they're on strings or that, you know, because they're power hungry or whatever, or they've been well selected and picked, many of them even mind controlled. So not everybody that you see in the public eye has a clue about what is really going on. They may think that they're, you know, they have a certain allegiance, uh, and and again they are focusing on the full opposite. You see, their focus is all about their opposite at the other end of the table, and maybe they don't even understand how the real power is uh, is controlled until they wake up. And those are also teachers and books that I refer to a lot, where these various uh, governors police chiefs, mayors, certainly generals, brigadiers, generals, you know, like Smedley Butler, and many others I could mention, who did in fact wake up because things were just too inconsistent. And you have this with teachers, you have this with archaeologists like Professor Thompson, and you have this within every sphere, you have people who just go, this this doesn't smell right. What on earth is going on here? This was brought out beautifully in the movie Brotherhood of the Bell, in which a very, very high-level insider then realized, you see, that... Um, that uh, everything that he thought that he and his family had gained was in fact given to him because he towed the line, because he conformed to, to these secret societies. And then when he wanted to blow the whistle, they start pulling up the ladder and taking things away. And then he decided to go out and try and you know, change that by letting the people of the world know what was going on. You mentioned the Cold War experiment. Did you ever look into the report from Iron Mountain by chance? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And the reason why I say that is because so many people are not aware that we were going to start with the Cold War. And after the Cold War was over, we needed to create another threat. And that's the threat of terrorism. And once terrorism is gone, which doesn't seem, we don't seem to see light at the end of the tunnel, then we needed to create another threat, a natural disaster, a celestial object approaching. And the final one, an alien invasion, a false flag alien invasion. Do you think that's possible? Or do you think people are awake to figure it out? Um, I don't think it's, of course it is possible. Yeah, 
but uh, my theories of the of the alien invasion are presented in my Atlantis work, and um, although I don't rule that out, of course, I believe the aliens have already come and come and gone, so to speak, or at least let's say that our civilization has been basically founded by them. So that when it comes to the alien question, you know, my theories would sort of reverse that by saying that in fact we're already under the control of a, of an alien, uh, what might be called an alien strain. And in fact, I've gone so far as to say that all of us have it in our DNA, in our very blood, because as my work on Atlantis shows, the ancient legends are happy to tell you that a uh, human being is basically a schizoid being after approximately 13,000 years BC. Something tragic took place in his psyche, which was caused by a multiplicity of different uh, trauma, traumata that took place, partly earth changes, partly cosmic events. Many, many people know this now. In fact, there's professors who haven't the faintest idea of anything that I would talk about have independently discovered that there was unbelievable cosmic upheaval uh, starting from 3,000 years ago, 3,000 BC, as early as that, but obviously recorded back further in the ancient mythologies back to 10,000 years ago, in which cometary action, this is, brings up the work of Emanuel Velikovsky, for instance, he had thoroughly researched all of the myths and legends of all the world and found all of these motifs to be exactly the same. Absolutely exactly the same. In fact, the very phenomenon of witches going around on their broomsticks, for instance, is actually a motif, you see, that was um, originally um, originally abstracted from the action of comets, which had an evil, you know, were given to be malefic and were given an evil connotation by the ancients because they saw that this cometary action in the sky had caused so much incredible upheaval. It's where the word omen comes from. It's where a lot of the different traditions and superstitions come from. So there was enormous upheaval uh, on our planet in ancient times, and that was one of the traumata. But there was other ones as well, including, as I said, the uh, genetic interference, um, sort of like a Planet of the Apes experimentation. And these, these, have, these have an effect in exactly the same way that you see a trauma, a trauma after a person gets some sort of major surgery. You know, they don't just jump out of bed and immediately, oh, yeah, great, thanks, doc. You know, where's the basketball field? There's an enormous period of, of recuperation. Perhaps the entire body is permanently traumatized from those so-called life-saving, you know, surgeries. Well, take that up to the massive scale, and that's exactly what happened. Consciousness itself suffered irreparable, irre, irre, you know, unbelievable damage during this time, which is actually very recent in our history. And so, therefore, a lot of the strange peculiarities and idiosyncrasy and strange uh, sort of, you know, peccadilloes of the human being today, uh, the, the strange um, idiosyncrasies of the, of the ego, for instance, can be understood in this context, thought as it is, as we know it is very, very recent. Consciousness, is, uh, the kind of consciousness that we know is very, very recent. And so these historical anecdotes fascinate me because they help to explain what on earth is really going on in our world. Do you subscribe to uh, the point of view of Zachariah Sitchin that uh, we have, our DNA has been manipulated and this is where we are today and we're simply a slave race created by the Anunnaki? Do, do you follow that? In, in general, yes. In general, yes, he's certainly one of the people that I researched when I was working on this. I mean, this is back in the 80s, so I've, I've read you know, all these individuals. And I went, uh, went deeper than Sitchin into other great works. And basically, even through those works, into the actual myths and legends themselves. Because that's where the real story is, even though it's embellished a lot, you see, uh, you know, by these uh, various um, sort of what appear to be fictionalized elements. 
But behind that is the story of these cataclysms, is the story of the War of the Gods, the super technologies, the creation of man and woman, uh, the rebellion of womankind, you know, and, and many other fascinating motifs. And then once you do this long enough and you keep it eclectic enough and you keep pulling back from the canvas enough so that you can keep, you know, all of the pieces coming together and let them take their own shape, which is what I did. Then you start to find out that, you know, yes, there was something remarkable that took place on this planet. And this goes, as I said, along to answer. It helps to answer why the Great Pyramid, for instance, stands there, you know, and why all of this other kind of um, divisions, man, man's incredible penchant to divide himself, both into class, both into, you know, genders and races and all the kind of other uh, idioms that you see in the world, um, you know, can be explained by a study of ancient history. This may sound cliche, but... I have to say it. Some say that we live in a virtual world as characters of a video game, if you will, or a prison planet. But we are trained not to find out. And even if we wake up and most of the audience that we have around the world has at least partially awoken to, to this reality, what can we do to remove the shackles if we wake up and realize that we are living in a prison planet? Well, you have to realize that the key to all prisons lies in your own hands. That's the first thing. It doesn't lie in anyone else. If you have been, had the intelligence to wake up to these facts, that's confirmation of what I've just said. If somebody can work it out for themselves that something's not right, then they need to realize that that's a great step. And that's proof positive that you are your own teacher in this field and that other people are merely guides along the road. But you must walk that road. Other people can draw up the map but you need to be walking it yourself. And, uh, and secondly, you have to really understand that the journey of knowledge is not a chore. It's not something, oh my goodness, I have to do while my real life continues. The journey of knowledge is the real life. It's the other stuff that's satellite and, so, and ultimately superfluous. So people I see need to, you know, I often, we often talk about this because this is a stumbling block for people where they, they really, um, you know, they'd rather or they just see this journey of knowledge as something burdensome. See, I've always seen it as a great inspiration and I wouldn't change, change it for the world. And so people need to feel adventurous about it. They need to realize that it's not separate from their own soul work and their soul journey and that there's something deeply spiritual about this path, this journey that involves, you know, the, the political uh, machinations and all the rest of it. It's basically, in the ancient language of mythology, it's about going into the underworld. In the language of psychology and alchemy, it's about doing the shadow work. And ultimately, that is doing the real work. It's a journey of self-discovery. And so people need to feel a great deal more up, uh, positive to it and not uh, feel fear, you know, when they start looking into these mysteries, uh, to use that phrase. The question is, how many people are willing to turn off their subliminal tube, their, their TV, you know, the mediaopoly? How many are willing to turn off their TVs to, to really look for the truth outside of what they're being told? Because in a way, and I want to talk about this in a few minutes, it's a form of mind control. People who just sit down for hours watching TV, they're not going to have the same drive that perhaps you and, and some of our members of the audience have. Is that correct? That's right, but they don't have to have it. You see, we can't, we can't um, point fingers at one kind of tyranny and then act tyrannically in, in, in another way. It's perfectly all right for the unconscious person to be unconscious because ultimately it's their choice. And this needs to be given incredible thought 
especially with those new beginners who are all, you know, very, very uh, enthusiastic about discovering pieces of this information themselves. And then, they, you know, the one run down to the pub and let everybody know about it. Yes. Actually, no, as I said, this is an occult work. And in the occult sphere, there are certain rules and regulations that apply. I know people don't think this is the case, but it is the case. And therefore, you cannot go ahead and violate the sovereignty of the ignorant person who now you can clearly see is ignorant or even morally inferior to yourself. You, you may see that, but there's not really anything you should do about it because they have the perfect right to be the way they are. And if you try to overtly change it, then you're no better, really, than the very tyrants that you say with the other, you know, with, with the other hat on that, you know, rule the world or whatever. So we have to give each other space. And then again, you see, like I've said many, many times, when I'm talking about mankind or, or humanity, say, for instance, I'm talking about a tribal group like the ancient Irish or the Native American Indians or whoever. I don't, I'm not talking about the rank and file. The rank and file are always cruel, bloodthirsty, narcissistic, bickering, and, and limited in every genre, in every age of history. When my work is only focused on the very individuals within those collective units that used to be called the shaman class. And they still exist today. They're the people who will listen to your show. They're the people who you know listen to me and email me and, and get involved in this kind of research and are sometimes very advanced in what they're doing. It, that's a very small demographic and always will be. I have never endorsed. I, I don't. I know no answers to all of that stuff about you know when is mankind going to wake up and what can we do and all of that. That's never crossed my mind, because number one, you'll never do it, because there's a choice that people have to remain the way they are. It's all based on choice, and number two, you're not even supposed to do it, if you are truly understanding the spiritual law, uh, and in fact, you may by affecting or disaffecting a person's destiny, you may be creating enormous havoc. I actually do know for a start that you will be worsening your own life, but that's a huge story, that by, by trying to engage other people who are toxic and unconscious, you're not doing yourself any favor. And I, I, I always, 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 you know, uh, uh, try to dissuade people, especially in the early stages from doing this. And secondly, you may, as I said, be even violating their own level of sovereignty to remain ignorant, to remain within the hive. And what I'm really talking about is this. When, see, the truth is the truth. The truth is not in anybody's possession. The truth is something of its own. And therefore, all we are are agents or ministers or servants of the truth. When the truth wants to waken somebody up, it will do it in its own mysterious way. Very much like how the Christians say that God works. Well, this is exactly what I mean. So never lament, never be pulling hair out and, and rolling around, you know, in agony over the ignorance of the of the world when a person wants to be is to be awakened the force will do it in a most mysterious and magical manner in which all of our beating and all of our you know cajoling and all of our um, passion could never ever do in fact i have come to believe that in, in in actually doing it that way you may actually be causing problems you may actually be uh, disaffecting a person's destiny and what i mean on a more basic level is that just wait till somebody comes to you with certain questions. Deal with them then. Wait till they come to you, to what you do, and then you explain it very briefly to them, and then you check to see if they're interested and really committed and so forth and so on. You take it person by person, and you put up a lot of boundaries, and you make absolutely sure, because this is ultimately a journey of discovery, and you don't really have the time. You may be acclimatized to the air further up the mountain, 
But if you try to drag other people up there to look at the view, they may die on the way. So there's, it's very important to have everything acclimatized. You can't take people deep sea diving without proper instruction and practice. You can't do, do mountain climbing without instruction and practice. And you damn well cannot climb the mountain of enlightenment without the same kind of arduous practice and uh, discipline, you see. And it's not for everybody. And that is so true. I'm even a witness of, of, of uh, making the same mistake of, and I'm sure you listening around the world, people around the world listening, have made this mistake of going to a relative or, or a friend and telling them what you've learned, whether it's the truth about 9-11 or whether it's the truth about uh, conspiracies, etc. And most people, and even let me just quote people from my own family, say to me, do me a favor, do not talk to me about this. I don't want to know. And it's so true what you said also. A small minority is always responsible for true transformation on this planet. Of course. And it can work right across the board. Um, children will not listen to their adults, even when the adult happens to be into some of the stuff that they're into. I mean, it could actually be that a kid is into some sort of rock music and their father or mother likes the music, but the kid will hate the fact that their parents are even into the music. If they're into it, it must be crap. Right. So this is already inbuilt. This is already inbuilt. So we have to obey this as well. Let alone when you are now trying to, of course, in their language, one up them by telling them, as, as Lloyd Pye has said, everything you know is wrong. There are huge ego defenses to that because the society, the world has demanded so much hoop jumping for us to even matriculate slightly professionally, socially, domestically, and whatever else, that the last thing you want to hear by the time you've reached 21 or later is that you, everything you know is utter nonsense. People will not accept that even when they have to pay for it by going and lying on a psychiatrist's bench going, hey, doc, my life's a mess. What can I do? Even when they are paying the bill, the psychologists find it almost impossible to uh, get people over even a most rudimentary sort of you know, hitch or glitch or idiosyncrasy in their life. It's a defense mechanism, isn't it? Yes, that's what I'm saying. These defense mechanisms exist, and you're really going to meet them. There was, a, there was an old quote saying, don't take on the cause of the oppressed unless you are willing to meet the oppressor. And in my language, the oppressor is ultimately the ego of a man, ego of a person. And therefore, you know, just you, you can't do anything about that until that person wants to awaken. And then the journey takes on its own contours. The whole point uh, being that any spiritual journey is not collectivized in any shape or form. Religion has done its best. The New Age movement has done its best to collectivize this passion of a person's journey of selfhood, you see. But ultimately, it's absolutely unique. So your vision of the world, your um, angle and perspective of it is going to be your own, just as your own yoga should be your own, just as your own insight should be your own, just as your development of your soul or your selfhood is completely unique to you. Any form of collectivism any form of you know, reproduction is utterly inauthentic. And therefore, uh, don't you see that by coming along to say, hey, here's what I've learned about this, 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 to people who are not awakened, is absolutely going to set their defenses you know, up. And all they're going to want to do is refute you. All they're going to want to do is shout you down. Because in their language, you are now threatening everything that they think that they've earned. And therefore, that humility and that openness and that level of hearing that level of general curiosity is not there because remember they these are people who have been attacked psychically these are people who have been under the hex these are people whose minds 
unbeknownst to themselves, have been colonized by the television, as you so aptly mentioned, and also by the unspoken cues and affectations of every single person around them. And that's why I always say that it's all about ego. It's a survival mechanism. But that's why I always say that truth is devoid of ego. In order to, to be in this journey, you need to remove those shackles, be humble, use humility in order to move forward. But I hardly read quotes, but I have to read this quote from somebody you admire, speaking of, of truth. It's a quote from Jim Keith's book, Mass Control. Listen up, people. Quote, here stands the new man. His conception of reality is a dance of electronic images fired into his forebrain, a gossamer construction of his masters, designed so that he will not under any circumstances perceive the actual. His happiness is delivered to him through a tube or an electronic connection. His God lurks behind an electronic curtain. When the curtain is pulled away, we find the CIA sorcerer, the media manipulator, unquote. Jim Keith, the author, is suspected to have been killed. He's one of the few who exposes the true war, the war on consciousness. Michael, can you expand on what, the, what constitutes the, the war on consciousness? Well, Nietzsche said it in these words. He said that man does not see things as they are because he himself is standing in the way. And he was talking about the ego. He was talking about the conditioning. He was talking about the inability to see reality as it is. We have ideas of reality. And therefore, the real journey of truth is not then to go to school and accept another uh, person's ideas of reality or run into a church or whatever and listen to somebody else's ideas of reality, but is to question your own. The real, like you asked earlier, what can we do to break all of this? Uh, the idea is that the real knowledge is not so much an acquisitive action. In fact, one might even want to be Socratic about it. Socrates said that there is no such thing as learning. It is more remembrance. And when you think about that, there's something very, very profound in that. And that is that he's saying that you already are perfect. And within you already is the whole of the secret. It lies within yourself. And by chasing around in the world, all you're doing is getting confirmation of that. But the ego wants to troubleshoot. It wants to use sacred knowledge for its own aggrandizement and all of these other things. But ultimately what Keith is talking about is that the affluent society, the technological, technocratic society, must give man awards for being unconscious the the state of unconsciousness that you see in the world the state of decay as i said is controlled and people go well what do you mean when you say it's controlled well i mean is that it's a carrot and a stick type of situation they also will reward the slave and that reward is the various forms of affluence which of course people can lament if you know like activists are constantly pointing this out but you know let, let's not go there for a minute just let's look at it broadly that the very affluence that the West enjoys is part of this decor decoration of the incarceration. Because you'll find it very easy, you know, when you go to the Amazon rainforest and you talk to people there, they are no doubt at all about that there's a presence of Big Brother operating in the world, you know, um, or any of these other indigenous people who see it on a daily basis. But the moment that you go into the streets of, of the West, you see they look at you as if you're ready to be locked up. And that is partly because, as Nietzsche said, they've become decadent and nihilistic. They've actually been paid off in full for this kind of um, uh, conformity and also um, this uh, sort of mental apathy. There's a, there's, you know, we, we pay a price for it. 
And we're given lots of things by society to make sure that we don't. In fact, what do you think the whole reward mechanism is of the universities? They don't, they're not there to teach you about yourself, but they will reward you for jumping through their hoops. <clears throat> They'll make sure that you have <clears throat> the status and the uh, distinction that makes you a member of that hierarchy. You see, so we're, we're, it's not, it's, like I've said many times, if a person wakes up in the West and has a hot shower and a cup of coffee, they're probably better off than three quarters of the whole of the, of the world. Just by those two simple things in their life, let, let alone all the other, you know, things that they have. So they also have to start realizing at a certain point that a lot of this is awarded to the Western man for his conformity, for the fact that he's being colonized and, and, and that he won't squeak. He won't stand up and, uh, you know, question authority. And what you said about the education system is so important. How many times we've seen somebody being grabbed from high school and put into college on, on, on a, a a sophomore or junior year just because they're so smart and what they're doing is just feeding their ego you know give you a phd i'm not criticizing anybody who has a phd or an advanced degree folks but sometimes they're brought to the equation so that they can see their world from the point of view of the education system in other words seeing how others are not part of that group if you will and separating you just feeding that ego is there some truth that Education, as you well said, it's not educate, educating you, but more or less giving you some mind control. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to in, in, enhance conformity because then this sort of petty ty tyranny of people who've jumped through the hoops, imagine that they really know something, they're some sort of expert, then don't you see that they go on and then they relate to other people in this sort of master-slave dynamic? Uh, the politicians, you know, they, they're privileged, they have a lot of privilege. Yes. Um, celebrities, you know, have it, the media will do this the so-called expert on everything uh, and in science you know every five ten years especially now it all rolls around and you know theories and discoveries of just a few years ago are rendered null and void uh, but again there's this um, sort of uh, hegemony there's this again colonialization and territorialization of knowledge we're not ever told you see that man is his own tutor that man is his own teacher man is his own enlightener None of this is ever taught. In fact, it's completely collectivist. You know, I just did a talk uh, last week in Bath, England, and when I was walking down in the town there, I saw a corporate uh, aphorism on the side of a wall. I think it was some telecom company type thing. And it said, I am what I am because of everyone. You know, in, in almost like a billboard type of uh, effect. Uh, and you have this strange, you know, quasi-philosophical uh, quasi, um, statement I am what I am because of everybody. And as a matter of fact, not only is it absolutely reprehensible term, statement, because it is purely collectivist, it's actually contradictory. Not individualistic, yes. Well, it's actually self-contradictory, even in, in the, in the uh, grammar, because if I am what I am because of everybody, then there is no I at all. So the very statement doesn't even make logical sense. We are we. I am we as opposed to I. Right. Right. And then now we start to see the mind control, you see, a factor in this. And this is very typical of the brain boxes that exist on Madison Avenue and in various other uh, advertising agencies who put these uh, motifs out and that you find them on the billboards, you find them, you know, in the advertisements and in the various graphics. You even find them in a visual form, not just written like that, but you find them the suggestions, the constant suggestion of, of uh, multiculturalism and 
uh, you know, diver diversity and all of these other things behind that. You, you, in fact, you hear it in the um, rhetoric of Al Gore in his whole climate scam. I've yes. said for many, many months now since it began uh, that actually just beneath the level of what he says in his rhetoric, and I was glad to see at the Bath conference that we did, Peter Taylor went into a few anecdotes of this. He, he also drew upon this. Uh, he gave a couple of, of uh, examples, and I don't know if the audience really got it very strongly. Uh, for instance, he brought up uh, the fact that in constantly using the word carbon, right now, now we're talking occultism, so people need to adjust their settings and realize what we're talking about here, because there's a subtext, and people who edit books and know about this know what I'm talking about. But these politicians use it on a very, very high level. When Gore and, and these people who are pushing this whole climate thing are you even using the term carbon? That word is loaded with occult and, and other subtextual uh, inferences and connotations, and one of them is connected to death. Because, of course, in the occult tradition, carbon is where you come from. Carbon is the black, lower, uh, sort of in that in, inert state of man, right? And the um, spiritual world can be, say, symbolized by gold or silicon or even sunlight. Peter Taylor was saying that sun, the sunlight, in, in this uh, particular occult phraseology, in this to break the ciphers of what Gore and everyone is saying, he pointed out that when Gore uses the term sun or sunlight, he's actually talking about the spiritual evolution of man and man's aspirations towards a higher state of consciousness. And so they use what I have always referred to as talismanic terms. These are just two examples. I, I've been talking about it for years in my DVDs. If you, the Weapons of Mass Destruction, uh, Weapons of Mass Deception DVD, I went into all of this in regards to George Bush's phraseology. And we have it again. And then I even showed that uh, previously, previously, a few years back, in one of uh, Gore's um, speeches, I think it was the speech just before, as he was running for president, we know, of course, that he lost. But during that race, he did a, a, a presentation. And actually, the subtext of this, I don't know, 20-minute, half-an-hour presentation took the listener subtextually through all the northern houses of the Zodiac. And these six northern houses are, are known as the Golden or Grand Arch, the Great Arch in Heavens, sacred to Freemasons. That's why you'll always see the Masonic arches uh, on their trestle boards and even their doorways, doorways of churches, Masonic halls, and government buildings have this arc motif with the keystone in the middle of it. You see it in every city of the world. Well, that particular arch is astrological. It starts at the House of Aries on the eastern horizon and then goes over to Libra on the western horizon. And there's six seven signs altogether and six in the north and if you were able to decode this particular speech by al gore he started off not only using biblical language because as a matter of fact the house of aries is the house associated with god the house of taurus is associated with um excuse me the house of um excuse me the zodiac is connected with god or the sun is connected with god the house of aries is connected with adam the house of taurus is connected with eve the house of Gemini is connected with Cain and Abel. You see, their son and their two sons. The house of Cancer is connected to the primal family. The house of Leo is is uh, connected to um, the hero, the idea of heroism and conquering and being able to succeed at anything. Right. Uh, the house of Virgo is selfhood and so forth and so on. Yeah, and Libra. actually, yeah. So he was not only using biblical uh, subtext; he was also taking you literally through the signs of the northern zodiac. Why do that? It's because these people are sorcerers. They have a complete understanding of the human psyche. Gore is doing it in, in, in 
in, in, in this particular rhetoric. And that's why the media throws them up on the public stage. It has very little actually to do with external meteorological phenomena, but it has a lot to do with the psychic control of the people who will gather around uh, from schools, colleges, and the general public to sit there aghast listening to the super champion, people's champion, animus father figure there, bantering on, basically using his version of the Hollywood, you know, of the, of the Druids, the Hollywood of the ancient Medes and sorcerers, to keep people in under control. The, all the Hitlers of the world, all the tyrants do this. They're instructed to do this because they are very, very much aware of the kind of psychic temperament of the people. And they also know when things are about to explode. The very fact that you have a black man and the president is a president right now is based on this archetypal uh, language that I'm talking about. It's very little to do with what everyone thinks it has to do with. Actually, they wanted a woman. They really wanted Hillary Clinton in, as a matter of fact. She fits the symbolism of, of, of certain groups of Masons very, very appropriately. But another school, because I've always talked about the various divisions of, of these orders, and they're not always in sync together, you see. In fact, they even use the black and white checkerboard to emphasize this. And there's different degrees as well. And so they chose this time to have a black man come in. Not to do with really to do with race and to do with all of these other things that people think. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. It has to do with shadow and shadow work and many psychological other uh, phenomena that most people are completely unaware of. So we have to realize that how, these, uh, how this control works, how this mesmerism, as I said, this hex works. And then you break the spell. So coming back to the main point, the journey of knowledge is actually what I refer to as apophatic, which is, which is ultimately deconstructive, which is see the lie as the lie. And then you may have a chance of being pure enough to see what the truth is. But while you are enshrouded, you know, like while you have these veils of ignorance and haven't even got the discernment or the judgment or the critical ability or the pattern recognition or the symbol literacy to be able to deconstruct the lies, which are very only a very few people in this world can do. Remember, a lot of people think they can do it and then they make a botched job of it. This is a study. This is a science. And one has to be really, really adept at doing it. Only then when you're able to do that. Can you then perhaps apprehend the truth at the end of the line? And that's basically my work, what I do, and that's my message to, you know, my viewers and listeners is to try and um, try and um, advise them to examine this, the, the world, the phenomenon of the world, and the information in the world in this deconstructive ma manner. And the aphorism you read on that banner that said, uh, "I am who I am because of everyone." Translation in my mind is, "Don't you forget." But you are not an individual, and you are part of the hive. Isn't absolutely. that more or less the same translation you saw? It is absolutely what it is. And people walk past it. They're not consciously aware of it. They're not even conscious of the colors that were chosen or the positioning of that sign uh, and all of this. Um, they're not aware of it, but they are aware of it subconsciously. And that's what Big Brother understands. Uh, and therefore, they put these in the ambiance. They put it in the social milieu. And so we pass it every day on billboards and so on, not realizing the various memes and the subtextual information that's contained in there. And, 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 and even after many movies have addressed this, movies like They Live and Equilibrium and so many other fantastic films who brought this out, the movie Agency, for instance, uh, that we mentioned in Architects of Control, you see, the parallel. Lee Majors back in 1980, I think it was right. that movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, an absolutely fantastic film, Looker with, with uh, Albert Finney. You see, there's a movie after movie that has already gone into this. But somehow, well, again, you see, people accept that as fictional because, it is, again, it's going to the right brain. When these individuals put this out in the social sphere, it also goes to the right brain. So somehow the right brain is completely accepting all of all of this. 
But when it comes to this left brain circuitry, this is where the defense mechanisms of the ego exist. And people will not then, you know, be so ready, ready to accept it until you're able to gather all the information together and then present it. And that's when you get a, a very, very positive response. In fact, I've had, uh, you know, overwhelming response just about that uh, subversive symbolism web stream and the subsequent DVDs and other work I've done on that. It, it's not only spawned many other people who, who are doing this now, who are revealing the secret symbolism factor, you know, who never were doing it beforehand. Uh, it's, it's, I'm glad to see that, that that's, it's really caught on. But I've also received personal um, thanks and personal interest and in people saying, can you do more, you know, whatever, it, it, from people who find this very, very interesting. And they're starting to notice how the symbol of the pyramid, how the symbol of the dove, the symbol of the pentagram, certain the way letters are used, the way certain colors are used, uh, the way light is used, for instance, on television, and many, many other motifs besides. They saw it at this last inauguration. Uh, ceremony in which almost the entire stage was a, a duplicate of the old uh, the Masonic temples and so forth and so on. Speaking of the Masons and the black checkerboard and, and Hollywood, I have a friend who used to be a caterer for celebrities in Hollywood. And not too long ago, well, first of all, do you know who Roland Emmerich is, the, the, the director of the movies Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, and 2012? Yeah. Well, a after... He made the day after tomorrow. He promised he would never do another movie dealing with catastrophe. Well, he made 2012. But my caterer friend went to his house. The first thing when they opened the door, on the floor, it was black and white checkerboard. And as she proceeded to the kitchen, she looked everywhere. And there was Masonic symbology everywhere. Do you think those movies have some kind of a subliminal message to tell us? Like, let's take, for example, 2012, if anybody saw that movie. Do you think that they want us to believe that that's going to happen to keep us in fear? What is the purpose of their symbology? Well, as I said, uh, many reasons. One is to give information to the slave so that the slave can never say that they were not told. This is part of occult ritual. Um, and just because you, the person in the audience lacks the ability to decode, well, that's like the, the law, law the uh, what you call the legal profession, saying, well, excuse me, um, ignorance of the law is no excuse. It works exactly the same way. Just because you haven't bothered your ass to be able to decode this incredible language that Disney, Touchstone, Hollywood, Madison Avenue, and so forth and so on, are constantly using. That is no way, that's not, that's not, that's, that's neither here nor there. You're still going to be complicit. So they're delivering out the various messages from movies like Stargate, movies like um, uh, Surrogates, movies like Equilibrium, Matrix, so forth and so on. There has not been a stone unturned. Running Man, uh, Judge Dredd, uh, what was the one I was thinking, Collateral Damage. And remember, in one movie, it can just be, I'm not saying the whole movie is like this, it could be just one particular anecdote in a movie, or sometimes it's much more elaborate. But within these films are these motifs that purposely are there to give you the information of an occult nature that you're supposed to know. And then there is the other control aspects that are there to reinforce your stereotypical um, allegiances, the father figure, and the way that the father figure is shown, particularly how white men are shown in movies, or white father figures, the way that women are shown, the way that animals are, are depicted, the way that children are constantly depicted, you know, the way that nature is always depicted. Uh, people go, go get the movie Wolf with uh, Jack Nicholson, get the movie, you know, Solaris. Study these movies 
from this particular point of view. And you'll start to see how rich they are. And we need to do this as well because, you see, we can then use this very same technique in our own creations. We need to know the language of symbolism because it's one of the ways that we can empower ourselves. It's one of the ways that when we start creating our artwork or our movies or our documentaries, we can start taking that power back because th those particular, um, those particular uh, idioms are not evil in themselves, number one. And in fact, they were in the arsenal of the good in ages past. They have been appropriated, you see, and sequestered by those who have no legitimate right to them. And that's why when people bash the symbolism and masonry and all of that, they don't know, that just shows me they have the faintest idea what they're really doing, which is very, very common today in the conspiratorial movement, where there's a repeated bashing of the symbolism. The pentagram is evil. 666 is evil. Black cats are evil. Don't walk under the ladder, the sphere, the tower. By people who obviously haven't really studied this at all. No symbol is, is evil in itself. It means something. You can't say that the letter A is evil and the letter B is positive. You know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. You can't say that. It's one, the meaning no, we give them, the meaning we give to the broken mirror, etc. Yeah, what would happen? What would happen if, if uh, John Williams, Segovia, or Julian Breen said, well, I, you know, I play the guitar, but I really dislike the, the, uh, the A note, so I avoid it when I'm playing the guitar. How would their work sound if you did that? Meaningless. If, if, if Johann Sebastian Bach, for instance, you know, had a, had a particular peccadillo about the G chord, yeah, his music would sound wonderful, wouldn't it? No, it would be meaningless. Right. So this is the, the understanding. And that is coming from the limited mindset who doesn't understand what is going on. Because remember, these Masons and these people who use this symbolism, they do know what's going on. And therefore, that's why they use this symbolism. Because they know it's to, to bypass the conscious circuitry and enter into that deep reservoir where your selfhood is. And they've understood one, one fascinating thing, which anybody can observe, by the way. And that is, you can stop a man from becoming self, a self. You can stop a man from um, progressing by stunning him, you know, with a kick or traumatizing his life. That's one way that you can do it. That's called severity. It's the punitive methodology. But that doesn't work on everybody. There's some people who are, you know, tough. And that just, you know, they're bulletproof and it won't work. So there's another way that you can use Offer them something even more gooey and attractive out here. And automatically, they'll move towards it. And you'll see this in all aspects of daily life. You know, it's this old story about, you know, people trying to hitchhike and they can't get anywhere. And then they send the girl out to show a flash a bit of leg. The car yes. comes screeching to a halt. This is what I mean. Good analogy. Good analogy. Michael, but we have to take uh, one intermission. Okay. And uh, we'll be right back. But before I let you go, I want to ask Michael if he knows this. Some of you in the audience may know this. Speaking of Hollywood, the movie The Matrix, Neo, the main character, he had a passport. Do you know what the expiration date of that passport was, Michael? I can't remember. Remind me. Let's give the answer when we come back. Michael, how do we get in touch with your work? Oh, just go to michaeltasarian.com. We got a lot of new things coming out in April and May. Um, so there'll be... Uh, a new website, and uh, but people can just go straight over to michaeltasarian.com. We've also got some very interesting new stuff on the forum. The previous forum crashed. It's now up again, so, you know, uh, we're not accepting members at this time, but you know, I've been posting a lot of the older stuff that nearly got lost and some very new, fascinating information. So in the forum, all of this is available once you go to michaeltasarian.com. So much more ahead, folks. I loved speaking with people like Michael Tassarian and Jordan Maxwell because these are men who were not told what to study. 
they went out there and they found the answers by themselves. Don't go anywhere. A lot more to come with Michael Tessarian. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to Veritas. 